Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The FT. Welcome back to Energy Weekly with me, David Blair. On the show this week, nuclear power plans in the Middle East. I think the programs, certainly from where I sit, look like civilian power programs and nothing else. We haven't heard of anyone else looking to enrich uranium or reprocess nuclear fuel, and I would be surprised if they got the international support that they are getting at the moment if they were the plans. The German utility RWE and the possible sale of its UK subsidiary NPAR. The arguments for staying in the UK are that this country is about to undertake a fairly radical rethink of energy and the possibility of new contracts for companies like RWE, new businesses, new power plants, etc., must be very high. And China's biggest wind turbine maker and its steps into the European market. The reason the industry is so interested is because China has literally grown from zero to hero in an extraordinarily short period of time in terms of its wind turbine manufacturing capacity. Let's start this week's show in the Middle East and the region's civil nuclear power programmes drawn up by a number of countries in the last five years. Ostensibly, these programmes aim to free up oil and gas resources for export by using nuclear power to generate electricity for domestic markets. Joining me in the studio to discuss the reality of the plans is the head of nuclear power for the consultancy Deloitte, Daniel Grosvenor. Daniel, how would you sum up the rationale behind these nuclear schemes? I think the basic rationale in, in the Middle East is a rapid growth in energy demand and then a, a debate on whether it's economic to burn fossil fuels to generate power or look for alternative sources of energy. And at the moment, it looks like people are choosing nuclear power as the most economic option to meet that demand. And which countries are we talking about? Which are the countries that are the most advanced down this track? I think the most advanced would be uh, the UAE. ENEC, the Emirates Nuclear Energy Corporation, have already chosen um, the Koreans, KEPCO, to build their reactors and are pushing ahead with an accelerated programme. We're also seeing the likes of Jordan, who have their programme underway. The Saudis have just announced a $100 billion 16 uh, reactor programme. Egypt, also uh, Iran, pushing ahead with their programme. There is a broad range, and I think the, the advantage of the Middle East is they can often operate a lot quicker than, than we can in Western Europe. The programmes in Arab countries all started up at about the same time as Iran began enriching uranium on an industrial scale. Is that purely coincidental? I think so. I, I think the programmes, certainly from where I sit, look like civilian power programmes and nothing else. We haven't heard of anyone else looking to enrich uranium or reprocess nuclear fuel, and I would be surprised if they got the international support that they are getting at the moment if they were the plans. One of the key objections to nuclear power in this country is the cost of building new reactors, which is immense, £4.5 billion pounds or so for a new reactor over here. Are those considerations weighing on governments in the Middle East as well? I think the cost is always a big consideration. And there's some, but there's some dramatically different profiles in the Middle East. The countries I was talking about earlier, if you compare the resources of Saudi compared to those of Jordan, the costs are a very different priority. 
let, let's say, for those countries. I think it depends what you're, you're looking for. The Committee on Climate Change came out in its recent report, nuclear looks like the lowest cost form of low-carbon generation. And so it depends what you're comparing it against. If you compare it against the old coal plants or perhaps some of the modern gas plants, nuclear does look expensive. But compare it against offshore wind, solar, or you know, maybe oil fire generation, it's not necessarily that expensive, certainly when you take into account the price of carbon as well. And would it also open up new sources of revenue because oil that would have been used to generate power domestically could then be exported? I think it's a real opportunity cost play for the Middle East with the way oil and gas prices are going at the moment. It's much more beneficial for them to export them to the West and and, and others rather than spend them in domestic power. Thank you very much. Let's move on to the rumours surrounding the German utility RWE. As the company grapples with decisions to reduce its net debt of €27.5 billion, the future of its UK subsidiary NPAR looks uncertain. Joining me in the studio to discuss the possibility of RWE choosing to sell off Empire is FT Lex writer Vincent Boland. Vincent, to what extent does Empire underperform its counterparts elsewhere in the RWE group? Hugely. It's a kind of peculiar beast within the RWE Empire. First of all, the UK is the one geographical area within RWE's European businesses that is going to grow this year. But on the other hand, it is also the worst performing within the RWE Empire over a long period of time. And NPower is central to that. It has the worst return on capital. It has the worst value added to the whole RWE business strategy and business plan and business model. And so RWE paid 5.1 billion euros for it. I would say that it probably is not worth that right now. When you put it like that, the case for selling Empire seems overwhelming. Why then haven't they already done it? Presumably there are arguments for staying in the UK. What might they be? The arguments for staying in the UK are that this country is about to undertake a fairly radical rethink of energy and the possibility of new contracts for companies like RWE, new businesses, new power plants, etc. must be very high. So if you look at RWE's business in Germany, I mean, the government in Germany has just completely undermined RWE's domestic business by putting a moratorium on nuclear power. And I think that RWE is now looking, along with other big European utilities like E.ON and and all of the others, at how does that affect the business model going forward? What does it mean for our stable of interest, our geographical businesses? I think everything is up in the air. And if RWE did take the decision to sell Empire, who might be the possible buyer? First of all, I guess it's worth saying that, I mean, RWE has not said it's going to sell. It hasn't given any indication that it might do so, but there is speculation in the market that it would. I think that one of, one of the problems it will face if it does decide to sell is actually who it's going to sell it to. The ownership of the UK electricity generation industry is quite fixed and it's a big thing for a company to decide to sell its entire business or for another company to come in and buy. So I think there are very few obvious buyers, first of all, with the money to do so and with the, with the ability to take on the investments going to be needed to turn in power around. One or two names that are probably almost certain to be mentioned are Iberdrola or even one has heard Gazprom mentioned from time to time. So, you know, but I think that there's a massive headache ahead for regulators and for the Department of Energy if and when this actually comes up. If a buyer were to be found, would that buyer have to take on the obligation of replacing loss generating capacity? How does Empire's generating mix look in the future? 
not terribly attractive. I think the mix between coal, oil, nuclear, all of that is going to be up in the air. And I think that companies that want to invest in the likes of NPAR in the future are going to have to make those decisions as part of the whole business decision in buying a company like NPAR. So all of that is totally up in the air. It is an issue both for regulators and for potential buyers. And I think that it is yet another hurdle that would face RWE if it was to sell, which I think probably reduces the likelihood that RWE will sell in power, at least in the sort of medium term. Thanks very much, Vincent. And to our final topic for today, China and its move into the European wind power market. China's biggest turbine maker, Sinovel Wind Group, has sealed a 1.5 billion euro Irish wind farm deal. Joining us in the studio to talk about the agreement is the FT Environment correspondent, Polita Clark. Polita, could you tell us the significance of this agreement? Is it completely unprecedented or has China made arrangements like this before in Europe? No, well, there are two very significant aspects to this deal. Number one, it's the size of it. It's 1.5 billion euros, as you said, which is um, larger than anything else we've seen. And number two, they've made it very clear that they're going to be making the turbines that they're going to build across Ireland. They're going to be making them in China and shipping them across. So, in other words, there's a jobs uh, component here that hasn't uh, necessarily been evident with other smaller deals, of which have only been a handful. And the reason that the industry is so interested is because China has literally grown from zero to hero in an extraordinarily short period of time in terms of its wind turbine manufacturing capacity. Turbine makers in Europe, where we've traditionally seen local manufacturers led by Vestas in Denmark and Gamesa in Spain, Enercon in Germany, they've still got 89% of the market and they've always held this. But they are now looking at this extraordinary growth in China, a country that is able to make these turbines for up to 30 30% less than what the European manufacturers have been able to make them. So they're watching very closely to see what sorts of foreign expansion plans they have. And when it comes to technical ability, how do Chinese-made wind turbines match up against European-made wind turbines? That's a very interesting question. If you ask a Chinese turbine maker, they will tell you that they are every bit as good. However, if you ask Europeans, they'll say that they have a way to go in terms of quality. And I think actually the view amongst many analysts is that there is a little way to go and um, that technically they may not be as advanced. Give us a picture of how fast the Chinese wind industry has grown. There's a very compelling set of statistics uh, to do that. Before 2006, there was not a single Chinese wind turbine maker in the top 10 global turbine makers. There are now four. Sinovel, for example, is uh, the second largest in the world now after Vestas. In 2007, it only had a 3.4% market share. Now it has just over 11%. And Vestas has uh, just under 15 So you can see how quickly they've rocketed up. When it comes to China's domestic energy policy, are they placing much greater emphasis now on wind and renewables? Well, they are. They have now spent an enormous amount of money on wind and solar, and we are seeing uh, both those forms of renewables grow hugely in China, and it is part of their long-term environmental plans. So, yes, they have become a renewable supergiant in a very short period of time. Thank you, Polita. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Daniel Grosvenor, Polita Clark and Vincent Boland. Energy Weekly is produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.